All right, we're back for another FFPC main event mini-sode episode. This is a series that we've been doing while on the clock in our first slow draft in the FFPC main event with a million-dollar top prize. To recap our team before the selections we're going to discuss today, we started out as True Piss Boys, AJ Brown, CeeDee Lamb, Debo Samuel, DK Metcalf, Brandon Ayuk, Deontay Johnson, grabbed our first running back, James Cook, at 7-11. That one is aged nicely. Saw him go at the 4-5 turn in a draft the other night. We wow. got Jordan Addison after that. Greg Dolchich uh, in the ninth. We can talk about how that's aging. We then went <laughs> Jalen Warren to a tag of Iloa as our first quarterback in the 11th, Kendra Miller. We can talk about that. Two more running backs in the 13th and 14th in Deontay Foreman and Raheem Mostert. And today we are going to discuss our picks in round 15, 16, 17, and 18. Guys, how are we doing as we land the plane on our first slow draft main event? Doing good. Like you said, uh, some of them have gone well, some of them not so well. The James <laughs> Cook thing I'm stoked about. That was the one where we talked through Evan Ingram a little bit. Pat was on Cook. I'm really, really glad we have Cook there. Uh, I still kind of wish we would have gotten Ingram at that turn, though, with the way the things worked out with Dulcich, because it's not well, looking sure, yeah. That that feels like it, that was a little bit of a meaningful tier, but um, looking for, uh, I think the last, the other thing I was going to say real quick, the last time I think we were just saying before we started, we finished up talking through the Gainwell Foreman most of the thing. Gainwell did go one pick ahead of us if we hadn't updated people on that. So we, I mean, we kind of got sniped. I think we were settling on Foreman and trying to hit Gainwell on the way back. Uh, or, or we were close on that, but Gamewell did go the one pick ahead of us, so we weren't able to get both. Uh, and that's how we yeah. got formed of Oster. We decided on Gainwell as the number one, I think. Uh, we and might then, have, yeah. Yeah, and then he went right before us, so that was a bummer. And it's funny like how we already know that when we look back at this draft board, it's going to look hilarious. But like already, like Kendry Miller getting hurt, and then Gainwell's rise. Like I would already love to have Gainwell at the twelve oh two instead of Miller. You know, yeah. obviously we didn't. We know more than we knew then. But um, and I never would at the time. Never would have thought to do that. But you know, just a reminder of how chaotic things. Well, are. let me let me play like devil's advocate. And I'm still the Kendra Miller bull. And maybe this is going to continue to age poorly. But I mean, like Chase Brown goes a few picks after Tajay Spears goes a few picks after no one is like really even hoping for a ton of standalone value with those guys. It's disappointing because we thought Kendry Miller was mispriced as a guy who could have early standalone value yeah, yeah, and yeah. crush down the stretch. And that's obviously changed, but like the late season appeal for me. And I think I said this on the last mini. So like it, it hasn't changed for me, even though the hits do keep racking up and it is fair to question his durability, I guess, but I don't know. I, I still don't mind the pick there relative to who else goes in this range. I like that take. I think Jamal Williams looked really slow again in the preseason. I reminded everyone the only reason he had really any value last year is he got, I think, 16 more inside the 10 carries than any other player in the entire NFL uh, or any other uh, running back, I should say. Maybe like Jalen Hurts was up there. But um, he basically wasn't efficient, was nothing else, and now is on a team with Taysom Hill. I don't see why you would do I, – I feel like he's like one of the worst picks on the entire board, Jamal Williams. But – the one guy I'm starting to get concerned about for the Kendry Miller path is Alvin Kamara because he was still a little mm. bit efficient as a receiver last year, and Nick Underhill's been talking up. Um, so you know, famously Evan Silva's buddy Nick Underhill has been talking up that Kamara had a, a unique um, workout regimen this offseason, yeah. and it feels like he's gotten some burst back. And I, I mean, I test. I felt like he, he had like some good. sort of um, muscle imbalance in his legs that he like has corrected or something. Yeah. I thought he looked kind of good in the first preseason game. And the fact that he was still a little bit efficient in the, in the pass catching game, he's lost some efficiency in, in the running game, but 
in part because he had the biggest workloads of his career the last couple of years as a runner. If you look at his profile, it's not like a, it's not clear to me like it was like with Zeke last year, for example, that like this guy is going over the age cliff. Like he probably is, but I mean, he was really, really good in his prime. Yeah, I also think that Miller, you know, it, what if they sign someone now? You know, we already heard Hunt was visiting there, and so I was just like, I I do worry with him. Like, are we going to be able to hold him? So. But whatever. yeah, the thing is, is like when you look at how thin our running back depth chart is like, <laughs> yeah, I guess we, we will be able to. We probably will be because <laughs> we'll talk about what we did with some of these later picks. But like the tight end flyers are going to be probably who we quickly churn even yeah. more so than the running backs. So like to set this up, you know, through 14 rounds, right? We only had um, James Cook, Jalen Warren, Kendra Miller, Deontay Foreman, and, um, Raheem Moster at running back. The two positions we had punted the most are quarterback Tua we took in the 11th and then Greg Dolchich tight end we took in the ninth. And so heading here with down this home stretch, um, I think we were, we all knew we were going to crank purple, right? But we had a quarterback who was sitting here in the 15th, who was a huge ADP faller that lined up a stack for us. And we all kind of looked around the room and we're like, we should probably take this guy. Yeah, and I think, you know, the issue with taking Tua was, like, we weren't lining up a stack there, and you can kind of argue about how much that matters. And you're getting a really nice value. Like, Tua's an eighth-round best ball pick. We're getting in the 11th round. Um, and arguably, he's a better managed league pick because if he gets hurt, you cut him. Um, but then to be able to go ahead and get Geno Smith with uh, DK Metcalf, I can see us being psyched about that in the three-week sprint. That seems a pretty easy one for us to be like, all right, we got this. This is an awesome stack to have. Even if, like, JSN emerges, I think, you know, certainly Gino to Metcalf single could be really high upside. Yeah, and this, I think, is a good lesson on something that I've heard you guys say a lot and I've thought about more as I'm slower to the best ball game. You guys talk about setting up stacks and taking different receivers, and it's something we talked about on the early minisodes where a lot of our receivers here gave us the flexibility at quarterback because we had a lot of stack options. One of the ones that we were really targeting was we had both Debo and Ayuk, and we were thinking Purdy made for a really natural second QB here. There were reasons why we were a little bit – I know I was a little bit concerned he might not make it all the way back to us because the guy right in front of us has Kittle – and so it was like possibly he could get all the way back and then go one pick ahead of us, like Gainwell did. Um, and because we're on the end, like it was a little tougher to navigate that we would for sure get him. Still seemed like we would get him. And as we're sitting here in like the 18th round, he still hasn't gone. Like we probably could have got him. But we had all these doors open. And what that led to was the flexibility to grab Geno stacked up with DK. And it was the latest Geno's gone any, in any draft. And it was the latest by like eight picks. I mean, he, I think we got him like 40 picks behind ADP. So really significant discount to get him at 1511. So the ability to stack, you know, to grab that and to have a couple different stacks set up where we had some late round options led to something where like Geno shouldn't be going 1511. I, I did a and we got DK at a value. Right. And it's a zero running back team. Like this could be a really unique Geno. Yeah. Team. I did a pod earlier this offseason with JJ Zacharyson. He made a comment about QBs that have three pass catchers as high as Geno does tend to really hit. And so he was like, Geno's one of my favorite mid-round quarterbacks. And that's kind of stuck with me. I think it's an interesting stat. To get that guy at 15-11, he has three pass catchers in the top. I mean, that's that's very logical, right? Like, I like that. <laughs> it, and the other thing that's kind of fun about this for me, so, 
you know, when you think about it in managed, right, there's basically three ways to play quarterback. You get the elite guy and you start him every week. You take a, or you stream, right? That's another thing we've done. Or you take the elite guy, he whiffs and it's Trey Lance or Kyler or whatever. And then you have to stream otherwise. Or you take kind of two mid range guys and you play the matchups each week. Like if you look back over how we've played the main event historically over the years, we don't do this that much where we take the two guys and we play the matchups. And I think this is actually a really fun pairing to do that. And I think even last year, a lot of the Dolphins games kind of lined up in a cleaner way of knowing like, hey, this is a really good spot for two. And I think Seahawks too. I think these will just be two very fun teams that we're going to get to look at the totals, look at the matchups and feel really good about which one of these guys is going to give us a top 10 week each week yeah and i in a way i think we have done this sometimes but it's usually that we pick up the second guy off waivers right and i like that we just went ahead and grabbed gino here because yeah i think i i take a lot of gino in best ball um i think he makes a lot of sense for the the point that jj's making of like hey we're betting on these receivers i don't always buy into that like you know hey these guys receivers are going here his court the quarterback should be following along but gino's got a little bit of mobility He's very accurate. He's not like going to set the world on fire, but is a guy who can, you know, be in a high total game. Like we know the Seahawks can be in high total games and we can feel very good about putting him in the lineup. So after making the Geno pick, we knew, all right, it is time to crank purple. We, you know, queued up some tight ends there. We had some targets. And then, of course, we do see a bit of a tight end run. Jake Ferguson, who I know we were talking about, he immediately goes after us. Hayden Hurst comes off the board. Hunter Henry, Trey McBride, Michael Mayer, three of our collective favorite tight ends all go boom, boom, boom there in the 17th. Then Dawson Knox gets peeled off. And we are sitting on the clock here at the end of the 17th round. And I believe there was kind of a clear guy here in Tyler Conklin that all kind of jumped out to us. I don't even know if we discussed anyone other than Conklin here. Well, at that Geno Musgrave turn, one of the things we did talk about, and I think Pete, you were the one who floated it, was going tight end, tight end. Because we were, Oops, you know, my bad. I skipped over the Musgrave pick on accident. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So we grabbed, we, we, we decided to grab Luke Musgrave out of this tier along with Geno at that turn. And then we were saying, okay, some of these guys are definitely going to go off, but we have the Ferguson, Hurst, Henry, McBride, Mayer, Knox, Conklin kind of group as a tier. And they all went, and Conklin got left as sort of the last one. It was kind of like the way that I thought of it. But we almost got them all back to us. Four went in the six picks before us. That that stretch with Hunter Henry, Trey McBride, and Michael Mayer in the middle of the round was – that hurt. Partly because Mayer was the guy, right? Like I've been drafting a ton of Mayer. I don't have enough Musgrave. I was late to the party on Musgrave. I've been at the party the whole time with Mayor, and no one's showing up. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's like one I'm, of those I'm starting to. I'm finally starting to. I'm with well, you. Okay. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very late. Good. I'm yeah, very late. <laughs> help but, yourself to anything. Um, keep going. Yeah, so <laughs> the, the Musgrave thing, you guys pointed out, like, Ben, you kind of noted that, you know, the, the Rager Jefferson thing has been a lesson for us. We're like, he was in my dynasty stuff. I was pretty exposed to both, but then it comes over to redraft and I just took way too much Rager. I talked us into way too much Rager. And as like, how much do I even like Rager over Jefferson? Not that much. And yet we're, our portfolio doesn't reflect that. And it's just a, such a huge error. We never want to have that happen again. Musgrave. I think like there's a bigger gap between mayor and Musgrave in my mind in terms of their prospect, but like, Musgrave is a field stretcher. He's very athletic. He was highly drafted, and he seems to have opportunity right away. So at tight end, that's pretty good profile. Like, do I wish he was more productive? Yeah, for sure. But 
tight end's kind of volatile, and he looks like he's going to get opportunity out of the gate. So I was just glad that you guys floated him as the because he probably wouldn't have been who I I would have probably been on Jake Ferguson. Like it was just me, Jake Ferguson, Mayer, probably Hunter Henry. But Musgrave is a really high upside way to play this. Yeah, I'm, and I'm I think so a very fun. And shout out to Pete for that, because I probably would have done the exact same thing you did, but Pete's the one who kind of pounded the table on it. But on the the Rager uh, Jefferson analogy, I mean, I think the big lesson from that is when like it's not that it's wrong to be that hyped on Rager. It's that when you do take a lot of guys like that, you have to be considerate of who are the guys that I'm not getting enough of in the same yes. range yes. because yeah. I'm taking so much of this pick that I like. And if there are aren't guys, that's fine, but. Obviously, there was a Jefferson player in hindsight that, as you always talk about it when you bring it up, you're like, I really liked his profile too. I just didn't get a lot of him because I was getting a lot more Rager. Similar here, we were like, yeah, I mean, maybe Mayer is a lot better than Musgrave, but we do want exposure to Musgrave as a late-round tight end. There are other late-round tight ends that we really like. We think there's a lot of options back here. So it was a good time to layer one in. Pete makes a great point that Musgrave seems to be rising. It's probably going to be going higher than this you know, in a, by, by the time we're in Vegas. And and that was a big thing for me too. And we had just had the data point. We did our main event draft. The you know we're recording this on a Monday, but we had our done our main event on that Wednesday with the stat chasing guys. And Musgrave went in the 16th. And so I had already noticed that. Like Pat joking about no one showing up to the party for Michael Mayer. Like that's been happening. Whereas Musgrave has been moving up on underdog. He's now going early. And so I was like, hey. If this is a guy we might not choose straight up over Mayer, but he's going to end up being the one more expensive. It's like, let's grab our share now before he's like a 14th yeah. round pick. And then it's like, we're going to have plenty of chances to get Mayer because it just doesn't seem like people are going to get as stoked as him because of Jimmy G and that offense. Yeah. And he's banged up a little bit. And, you know, one of the reports is that he got absolutely smoked in a blocking drill um, <laughs> By what's his name? You know the really good blocker or the really good uh, edge guy, um, Crosby. So, you know, I don't know. Like, I I still think Mayer could be a pretty good pick, but yeah, like, why wouldn't you take the guy who's gonna who you're not gonna have access to at this point again? And we all would like to have a, an ex, you know a, a share of for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, likely mean, was already off the board at that point. You look at you know, and then the guys coming right off the board after it. There's room. There was no tight ends that went in the 13th and 14th in our draft year. I mean, there's room for Musgrave to move up and fill that void if the hype is, you know, keeps building. I was just going to say the same thing. Like Jake Ferguson, another guy who had a really good first preseason game from a usage perspective. Like, how does he not move up into the 13th round? Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. he's going to. Jake Ferguson should be moving up too. That that would be another. He game. already did that on Underdog too. To your point about Musgrave, Ferguson's already moved up some on, yeah, on Underdog. He has. Yeah, especially like you got guys like Hayden too pounding the drum for Ferguson. That's always going to move yeah. the market. Uh, on yeah. underdog but i will say you know we get musgrave which uh, i feel good about and then you know we were bummed because i think henry mcbride mayor those guys would have all been interesting but i don't know how you guys we haven't had like a ton of talks about conklin like i view him as kind of like even maybe like similar to hunter henry but maybe even slightly more upside but i was pretty excited to get conklin here just considering the other tight ends available i think conklin's like a pretty good pick still like the the thesis the play seems to be intact. Like I think um, Ruckert's made a little bit of noise, but I don't think the preseason stuff was super strong for him. And then it's like CJ Uzama. Um, maybe it, maybe he gets a little bit more than he did last year as a blocker. But, you know, Rodgers is generally thrown to the tight end a decent amount. And we don't think that much of the other wide receivers other than Garrett Wilson here. Uh, Hardman actually, like as far as like who can 
be interesting. Like Hardman would be probably number two on my list. And he seems to be probably like a rotational wide receiver four. So if it's Corey Davis, Alan Lazard, and Garrett Wilson out there with Conklin, like I think Conklin might earn some targets. So and, I, and I, the, I like him. Yeah. The big thing with the way they t- approached tight end last year is they brought in both Conklin and Uzama. And I noticed doing the projections, something that was surprising to me. It's not really how I remembered. I guess I thought Uzama missed some, like more time. I know he was a little bit dinged up. But uh, I want to see exactly how many games he played before I make this point. But, yeah, so he played 15 games, so he missed two games. Conklin ran 487 routes. Uzama ran 225. So he had more than double the number of routes. It was a lot more consolidated than I kind of remembered. I mean, I knew Conklin was used a decent amount last year, but um, Uzama played a lot and just didn't run a lot of routes. So, I mean, if we're assuming that they kind of just go with that same sort of vibe this year, like, Conklin has the potential, like you guys are saying, I mean, he's playing with Aaron Rodgers now. To be with a much more efficient quarterback and running a lot of routes, I mean, it's definitely a, a viable play. The, and then our, our our play on the way back, though, Pat, you, you were saying, too, well, we weren't really setting up the stack. But uh, what about yeah, that? I guess we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, look, I mean, Durham Smythe has been uh, an, an under-the-radar under the uh, brand play for me now for like two years. I just <laughs> yeah. constantly – and no one's sure if it's a bit, including me. Roll the clip. Yeah. But like his – the thing with Smythe is that he is like a blocking tight end who may now get to emerge as the pass catcher by default because Mike Gesicki is out of there. And – I just had an article come out um, on these tight ends um, that I did. The, I didn't. I didn't dive into the the late season or the, sorry, the late uh, draft tight ends. I, I I just looked at the early drafted tight ends, but using this profile and just pointing out when we look at like the profile of tight ends who've made an impact in years past, it's helpful for them to be good run blockers because play action passing attempts make up a lot of the touchdowns that we see at the tight end position. You know, and if you have access to those snaps, which Smythe does, right, that he was hurting Gasicki's upside last year because he's the guy that's going to come out there and block in those heavy sets. If Tyler Croft isn't ahead of Smythe in passing situations, which I don't think he is because they rested Smythe as a starter and did not, and Croft played a bunch, then like, I don't know, maybe he's like super poor man's George Kittle or Dallas Goddard, like a, blocking tight end who also gets to run routes. Right? Super poor man's George Kittle. He's fucking he's fucking welfare now, George Kittle. He's welfare George Kittle. Like but you're getting you might be getting access to a 70 75% route participation guy and he's getting the play action stuff around the goal line so you feel okay about plugging in and praying for a touchdown. Is he uh that high upside? No, is he low floor? Yes. But you know, it's as like a scratch off guy. I think we're going to know quickly. Does this dude have a full time role? And if he does, like, well, shit, he might be the number three target earner on the Dolphins. Right. So there's no it's one not there. Super high upside, but it's not no high upside in Titan Premium. Yeah. There's no one there. This is the part that, that really sold me as, as you were making this case. There's no one. When I went through my projections for Miami, like, Tyreek and Waddle already have soaked up so much of the volume from last year. They're going to again this year. Tyreek was led the NFL and weighted targets per run by a lot. Waddle was not far behind. I mean, he's like 10th or 12th or something. You And, and Gesicki was their third producer last year. They didn't really have a fourth, and now he's gone. And so 
I kind of have like in my notes and have kept in the back of my mind, like somebody else in Miami has to do something. Gasicki scored five touchdowns last year. You, I think that stat you pulled, I did read a, a, a good amount of that tight end article. You wrote a great article for anyone who's not, you know, reading those. You should go check that out. I, I really enjoyed that, Pat. Um, it uh, that, that stat you just mentioned about the run blocking snaps, another thing that's very logical and makes sense, right? They're, the teams are going to play the same tight ends that they're playing in run looks because they want to show the, for the play action. They want to sell that they're running the ball. And so that's why we see these secondary tight ends score those, those goal line touchdowns a lot. Like, Freaking Lee Smith and these dudes, yeah. you know, throughout history, and in, 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 and we're like, God, that guy scored the touchdown. Well, you just showed statistically why that happens. It's because the run blocking snaps actually correlate to the receiving TDs. It's a great stat for tight ends, and it's a great point on Smythe. And somebody, uh, again, when I go back to the projections, I, I, the other issue I had with Tua, his efficiency was so high last year, I already regressed it some, but I had to have somebody else in their passing game be efficient. Because Gesicki was pretty efficient per target last year. I didn't want to make like Robbie Anderson hyper efficient. And so you do wind up saying, well, is it Durham Smythe? Is it like Cedric Wilson? Who's going to be this third guy? But yeah, I mean, if, if Tua's going to, if like Mike McDaniel's going to design a good offense and Tua's going to be efficient in those types of things, Smythe could get those touchdowns at least. And then hopefully, you know, enough targets and enough of a role where he has a decent you know value here. But the real lesson is when you take your 11th round quarterback, it's important to or it's to set up the stack with their spike at the end. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, but all jokes aside, like I do think that's how you should be thinking about correlation in this specific tournament, right? Where it, the way this format is structured, you don't need to be going out of your way to complete stacks. I don't really think it makes sense to reach to complete stacks the way this is structured. But when you take an unstacked quarterback like Tua, could he have a top 12 season ping-ponging weeks with Waddle and Tyreek Hill having solid years? Absolutely. But if he finishes as a top five quarterback, which I think we'd all agree is like within the range of outcomes, if he stays healthy in this offensive clicks, someone else is coming along for the ride in this offense. I mean, we've even seen it with like the Bengals over the years, very concentrated with Chase and Higgins. Like you'll have the Hayden Hurst weeks, the Tyler Boyd weeks, like these guys can pop up. And then you look at our tight end room, like Dolce and Musgrave, as much as we're excited about them, they might be a little slow to come along or carve out like a full playing time role. Guys like Conklin and Smythe, like I wouldn't be surprised if we're playing those guys as our two starting tight ends for the first few weeks of the season. Um, so yeah, I think making this bet cheaply, on the Dolphins um, through these onesie positions makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I also think that, you know, there's best ball and there's managed. And, like, when we were looking at the other tight ends available here, it's like, do we want to take Kate Otten? Do we want to take yeah. Noah Fant? Do we want to take one of these guys who is a little bit more of, like, a known commodity in Noah Fant um, or a little bit better of a bet to have some kind of pass-catching role that we feel, like, okay about in Kate Otten? But Smythe is the dude who could be in a good offense and consolidate all the tight end routes. Like, and I don't know what the percentage that he does that is. And I don't even know that I need to dial it in because it's the 18th round. <laughs> like, let me yeah. just see if it happens. You know, yeah. like, what's the opportunity cost? Let me just see if he has it. If he doesn't have it, I am happy to cut him. Like, he is the easiest right. cut ever. Yes. If he does have it, then given the way this these these work i don't know he's like a 12th 11th 12th round value yeah so and stacked i mean what do you get when you're right to pete's point then we then we actually have two stacked which is something we wanted to accomplish (laughs) yeah right and i guess someone might be listening and saying well you could have stacked gino with noah fant but i think 
what Pat's saying too is like Fant most realistically is a contingent play. Like you need an, an injury for him to really reach his potential where like Smite doesn't need an injury. Like he could just be their third target earner. And it's honestly probably the safest bet that he is. Yeah. I mean, they rested him with the starters, like, you know, and so my point again, with the consolidating the routes, just to put some numbers to it. He had 40% route participation last season and Mike Isiki was at 55%. So we don't think of the, Dolphins tight end role is valuable, but you know, not that he would keep every route he had last year and take over every route that Mike Kosicki had. But if he takes the majority of what Kosicki had, we could be easily talking about him going from 40 to 75 and 40 to 75 would be a huge, meaningful, let's fucking go type of outcome for an 18th round correlated tight end. So let's, uh, because all we have left is kicker and defense, let's kind of zoom out a little bit, look at this team. You know, people on Twitter would say, uh, love your wide receivers, uh, a little worried about your your running backs and tight ends here. Uh, how, how do you guys overall feel about this build? Because we did end up in the scenario we kind of envisioned at the start, which is like we could end up punting three positions here. I think the room did not punish us at quarterback. So we made that one back quickly. And so then it really comes down to how do you guys feel about punting both running back and tight end? Do you think we can survive this? I feel like it's not running back in full because I feel very good about James Cook as our RB1 now. I mean, I'm getting really excited about him. And it's funny for anyone who listened to Ship Chasing last week, and I, I made a case for Damian Harris. I was telling you guys in the chat, like, it's changed over the last, like, four days pretty pretty drastically. Where while we were talking about that, Cook had gone in the sixth round in that draft, and we were saying – I or I, I know I was saying if you if you feel this poorly about Harris, and you should be taking Cook in the sixth round of every draft, and that's sort of just where I'm, I'm heading now, where I think he belongs quite a bit higher than 7-11 where we got him here. Um, so I feel really about that. Where you, you probably want to – apply a managed league bonus to cook right? yeah, like if, if cook point. isn't the guy he's not the guy whatever you probably can figure it out like in the sixth round you can survive it if he's not the guy it mm-hmm. much more easily than in best ball but if he's the guy like he's gonna pay off a sixth round tag yep he definitely yeah. is and then you got so the question is rb2 and, and tight end i'm a little concerned about tight end the dulcich thing is a little concerning. And sometimes when we finish these, we're like, which pick would you undo? I think I still would undo the Addison pick. I still, th- I think I still would be fine with just the six receivers. And and part of the Ingram discussion, none of us thought he was a superstar, but it was guaranteed routes and a good offense. And, and, you know, this potential for a strong floor or not necessarily guaranteed routes. Cause Pat, you made a, a strong case that maybe he'd be, be someone who comes off in some of those slot snaps, but uh, the, the potential for a pretty solid floor that I, as much as we like the late round tight ends, I didn't feel as comfortable with. Uh, I, I I kind of wish we still had Ingram. That would probably be the one decision that I would say, oh, in hindsight, like if I could change one thing, it might be that. Uh, but part of that's because the Dulcich run out has just been unfortunate since it's we took Dulcich. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were excited about Dulcich when we took him. And so we got to play tight end a little bit tough. The RB2 stuff, I mean, I'm, I'm really into Warren. Uh, I know we all are. Pat, you're, you're really into him. Um, Mostert is a guy that I think we we now – another guy we have tied to Tua and we could potentially even play early in the year early because they're not signing anyone else, you know? So, I, I mean, I think we can kind of make that work even though the Kendra Miller stuff hasn't worked. And then Deontay Foreman and Mostert I think was a pretty big turn to give us some early season stuff for, you know, to maybe bridge us to Warren and Miller. I mean, I, I guess tight ends where I'm concerned is what I'm getting at. Yeah. 
I'm with you. I'm looking at this too and trying to figure out like ways you would change it. The other thing I'm looking at here is like this run of running backs before the Dolchich pick, like P. Ryan, AJ Dillon, A. Chain Penny. That was tough. Like I look at this team and I'm like, God, this team could use Samaj P. Ryan. Like he would be the well, Khalil Herbert over over Warren might be one, and I love yeah. Warren, but Khalil yes. Herbert, someone we strongly considered there. Kind of were like, we can go get Foreman later, which we did. But and then it looks like that gap is. I, I remember asking when we were there, like, is there is, is there a three round gap there? And now it's like, yeah, there probably should be. Yeah, there <laughs> like should he, be. yeah, yeah. He looks like the starter. So come like coming out of the gates, if we had Cook and Herbert as our two starting running backs, I feel like we're like yeah. a fast start team. We're so, like a fast start yeah. zero running back team. So the way you yeah. do get there, right, is you go Ingram instead of Addison, and then we're taking knowing like, both hey, running backs, both Herbert and Warren is probably the switch there is probably how it would have gone. But Pat, you, Pat was very anti Ingram. Like Pat I was, was not letting that one through. <laughs> I'm still Addison over Ingram, even with the way it came out because part, partly because like we got Musgrave and we got Conklin, you know, and Dulcich, the Dulcich stuff is definitely concerning, but like my optimism for our ability to get tight ends that we felt like had either upside or usability right out of the gate, I think was founded like we spent very little and we got the Jets starting tight end and probably the Packers starting tight or not even probably he looks like the Packers starting tight end and you know Musgrave gives us gives you a little upside as like the field stretcher guy as well so yeah like we definitely would start a little faster with Ingram but I was put I was sort of pounding the table for late season upside with Addison I think he provides that he's had I mean he looks like a pretty good pick we're happy to have Addison so, yeah, it's gonna be hilarious to look back on this when Addison's a, like a clear hit rookie, and me and Peter are like we want to memory hold this whole discussion yeah. about a boring tight well, end over him. Yeah, like we filled, <laughs> we backfilled the tight end, we did it. Well, and I'm doing the thing we always tell people that not to worry about, right? Like I'm doing the thing where I'm like looking at our starting lineup and being like, how could we have made our starting lineup slightly better? But the whole point of zero RB and what we did here is that we are dominating people so much with those four wide receiver spots that us getting six points on average from our RB two doesn't even matter. And so in doing that, it's like, okay, well, Addison, Deontay Johnson, it's like from this cohort of seven wide receivers, we took through eight rounds. We're trying to find four smashes. And if we find four smashes, Four top twenty guys. It will honestly not matter what our RB two is. It just and it doesn't have. And one of the things that has evolved for me over the years is it doesn't have to be four for the full season. So, like to Pat's point, Addison's a late season upside play where early we could potentially find four smashes, and then maybe one of our receivers like unfortunately tears his ACL in week eight. But then late we're able to backfill that with the Addison upside that you can't just find on waivers. So that's part of it. You you have to have redundancy. Because things can happen where guys can be good for part of the season and then get hurt. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. So I, I, I kind of wish we just gone Herbert over Warren a little bit for the early season stuff. But then honestly, like if most if they if they don't sign anybody in Miami, Mostert would he could easily cover that early part of the season for us. And yes. again, late season upside like Jalen Warren has it. So I honestly feel pretty good about this team. I think I was the most comfortable with like. Let's just take the profiles we like and like let the rest figure out itself a little bit at, at running back and tight end. So it doesn't surprise me that I'm like more comfortable now that we kind of did that <laughs> because I was sort of pushing us that direction. But I like this team. I think we did. Look, we got we got the upside guy in Cook that already seems to be coming together. We have upside at tight end. We have upside at quarterback. Our you made a, we're, thin, a we're thin, but 
You made a clip for Greg Dulcich, so you're not buying any fears there. <laughs> no, I am buying fears. He was someone that uh, you want to talk about a guy that could not be playing much on on play action snaps around the goal line. I, I am actually worried about Dulcich there. He's someone I kind of wish we knew knew what we know now. But, 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 but Musgrave, if Musgrave, that's the guy. If he hits for us, this team's going to be fun. It is for that sure. of all the preseason like overreactions <clears throat> and all that, like the Dol- like specifically Dolchich in managed leagues is probably my one concern of all the preseason. It's like <laughs> Dolchich is still going to have the two touchdown games. He could still yeah. be the guy you need in the playoffs. Like none of that has changed, but like his usage could be so herky jerky in such for a maddening sure. way for managed right. leagues. And yep. and I, yes, I completely agree with that. And like you know, would I rather just have? Dalton Schultz just to plug him in or even like Sam Laporta. Yeah, I think I would just rather have Sam Laporta, but like at least we got him at kind of a value, you know, like Kincaid went at the eight twelve. you know, I don't, we didn't like pay the full price for, for Dulcich, did we? For sure. Get a little bit of a discount. Yeah, we did. We did. Just a smidge, a smidge. (laughs) Uh, Maybe it'll all be okay. Maybe it'll all be okay. I mean, it is now. It's just so funny going back to some of that language. I wrote about it in the Fantasy Life newsletter today. Like, I I looked up the quote again that Sean Payton was talking about, the evaluation being hard on Dolchich and all that. Now I'm like, I don't really like how this is sounding. And then, uh, you know, Nathan Janky at PFF's pointing out that Manhurts wasn't even playing. He could get some more blocking tight end snaps. And I'm like... This could be just such a fucking headache. That was that was part yeah. of my take early in the offseason yeah. was that we in the fantasy community probably thought he was the the clear tight end one more than you know the new coaching staff was necessarily going to because uh, Hackett loved him so much. It's part of the clip that we played for Dulcich, the big hub. Yeah, there's a reason that's included. He fucking loved Look him. At that and, and we're always like, yeah, I mean, this guy was a part of the old regime when these new regimes take over. And then when he brought in uh, Troutman, who he has coached before, Peyton, Sean Peyton brings him in from the Saints. It's like, uh, and early in the offseason, I was worried about Albert O, but he is like doesn't even exist anymore. He's just a figment of our imagination. But it does seem like Sean Peyton doesn't really see Dulcich as as clear of a number one as we do, which doesn't mean he's not worth drafting, but probably he should, I think, be falling a couple rounds and manage to, to Pete's point. I, I'm worried about it too. Yeah, I mean – just you brought up Hackett and the hard knock stuff on him. I mean, we if we had known last year that this dude's favorite movie was Austin Powers Gold Member, the the third one. Like that's not true. Think, yes, he plays Gold Member for for the team. He's constantly referencing Gold Member and uh, Rogers loves it, of course. But like, oh, yeah, he he has all these facts that he shares with the team about like gold member. I don't understand why but the guy's obsessed with the wrong Austin Powers movie. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, yeah, red flag for his coaching, red flag for his his evaluation of all kinds. I mean, Dulcich could be could be totally dust. Uh, yeah, could just be a yeah, could just be a hackett thing. And he's gonna he's gonna be a tough one because you know some of these other guys we're going to be able to cut and move on from pretty easily. Like Dolchich is going to be a little harder to part with, especially if the Broncos, like if Russ and the Broncos bounce back and like the Sean Payton thesis hits, like if the Broncos suck, it's like whatever, you know, but if the Broncos are good and Dolchich is like his usage is all over the place, that's going to be a very hard cut based on the offensive upside and where we took him. Yeah. And I think the guy that I brought up in the article with, with that I wrote about, um, 
for legendary upside when I was talking through Dulcich's profile is Jared Cook. And I think that Jared Cook probably Jared Cook ran around on 66% of dropbacks in uh, 2020, I believe. And um, he was, he actually had a pretty good year and he just was, you know, he was kind of a field stretcher, big wide receiver. And I think that's probably what we're going to find Dulcich playing, but in order for him to hit, he, he needs to like basically break out, like have a secondary breakout, to get to where Jared Cook was in terms of like how good he was. But then I think you're also thinking about like low routes, but you're you're hoping for a high target share. It does strike me as something that's gonna be inconsistent. You know, like yeah. if you don't have the routes and you're just hoping you get that really high targets per route run that, that might be scheme, you know. Cook, by the way, pulling up his 2021 target share, we said 13%. Um, he was at 12% in 2020. So Jared Cook with the Saints is his bull case, I think. It's just it's just gonna be it's gonna be uh, tough to know when to start him. Yeah. Well, that is our you know we did a we've done a couple uh, drafts on stream, but this was the first draft we hopped in this year for our managed leagues, and always fun to get this one in the books. Do you guys have any other kind of parting shots? I know people have been disappointed to see us drafting running backs so much on our best ball streams. We finally did a throwback for the people here, cranked it. Uh, true zero RB piss boy. Yeah, I mean it's AJ Brown and CD Lamb is a very fun start. You know, if we didn't if we didn't uh, spend enough time on that, that's that's pretty exciting. Got DK Metcalf and Geno Smith, the cheapest those two are going to be in combination in the entire main event probably. Yep. So wide receiver, we are looking good. Gretch, any final yeah. thoughts here? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great thing. Like, there's some there's some parts of it that feel like this is really going to have a hard time. But also the ones that like like are not like a really hard time, but like for how close it is to a finishing the draft, you know, you'd lo- love to have everything still feel perfect. And there's a couple things that don't feel perfect. But um, you see the teams that end up winning these things, and you look back, and, and you're always reminded that like it isn't every single pick goes perfect. That's not the way it works. And we did build a team with all the early receivers, as we were talking about, that can withstand some of the bumps and you know bruises throughout the season. Uh, we have some contingent based upside plays late. We have, you know, rookie tight end that, that has upside. We have a lot of paths to hitting on certain things. It's not probably a perfect construction, but, um, like in hindsight, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, but it is something that, or it is a team I think that, that can go far if it gets the breaks. And I mean, that's like, ultimately you have to get the breaks as part of it, you know? Yeah. Well, you say perfect construction. I'll pull this one up because we're doing another slow draft with a couple guys uh, in the Discord. We got Clay and Gormanji. And this one, I would say, is like shaping up as the perfect construction where we're out of the four hole here. Tyree Kill, Tony Pollard, Brees Hall, Kyle Pitts. And then we get uh, we catch up at wide receiver, Chris Godwin, George Pickens, Jahan Dotson, Traylon Burks. I mean, like you want to start masturbating over a starting lineup like (laughs) no further than the four hole right here. (laughs) Yeah, that's a fun team. So, uh, well, this is always a super fun exercise. We uh, we know we were a little slow. Getting- I didn't know we had Traylon Burks there because I was on ADP chasing. And oh, yeah, sorry. We, we didn't ADP. even check in with But him. I started bringing up Traylon Burks in the sixth round, so it's not like <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, we had brought we had brought Traylon Burks up when we were debating whether to take Brees Hall, and we were wondering, are we going to feel too behind at wide receiver? And, like, Traylon Burks was the guy we had, like, feathered away for, like, he's the one that's going to help us unlock this second detour here. And so for that to, to play out yeah. definitely helps. So nice. Plus, we also had a debate about Godwin versus Hopkins 
Yes. Real nice. I don't I don't want the double stack in managed from the Titans. Yeah. I don't want that. So so there it is. If you guys are listening to the audio version of this, we do have all the video ones available. If you're wanting to check out the board, um, which we have shared when we do these uh, mini-sodes, we are, like I said, recording this on August 14th. We're going to have plenty of main events and NFC primetime uh, drafts coming up over the coming weeks. Appreciate you guys, as always, for being YouTube members and for supporting us as we uh, rip off a bunch of drafts. I'm Pete for Pat for Gretch. See you guys next time. Peace. Peace.